Today's sermon, we're continuing on in our sermon series, A Healthy Church, dot, dot, dot. Today we're looking at a healthy church serves from 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. First, we will answer the why we serve, which there is one chief reason and why we serve, followed by three subpoints, and then the how we serve, which I believe is the most important words you will ever hear me say. You will ever hear me say. So before I pray, I'd like to read our text this morning, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. I'll read it and then we'll get started here. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for gathering your children here this morning. In your name, Lord, to hear your word be proclaimed. Lord, we pray that we come here today not seeking any selfish desires, but we come here today wholly and fully devoted to you and how you want to be worshipped. Lord, that that you are the one in whom we are gathered here for. Lord, that this sermon would be about you. Lord, that these words that would be poured out of my mouth today would be your words and not my own. Lord, that you would be the focal point. Lord, that you would be honored and glorified and lifted on high. Lord, that this would be about you, from you, through you, and to you. Lord, that we would leave here today hungering and thirsting for more of you, for more of your word. Lord, that you would use your word to pierce our hearts today, to convict us of any unrighteousness. Lord, and to compel us into more of a faithful life in and through your son. Jesus. Lord, again, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. So, why does a healthy church serve? You see, the first and primary reason a healthy church serves is right there in the text. It's for his glory. Peter says there at the end, so that the culmination of serving results in the fact that God may be glorified. This is the chief reason that God does everything. It's the chief reason that we exist. We see in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, where Paul writes for from him, him being Christ, for from Christ and through Christ and to Christ are all things to him, Christ be the glory forever. From, through, and to, that covers the basis for everything. Every single thing that God has done before the creation of the world till today has been ultimately for his glory, for his great grandeur. That storm that we had the other night was a storm like I had never seen before. I was driving back from the church to Marine around 1130, maybe midnight, and the entire drive home, constant lightning. I mean, constant. It was just lightning, 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 lightning. I wanted to record it, pull out my phone and record it, but I was driving. I'd like my excuse for that to happen to be because I was driving, but actually because I have an iPhone 6 and the camera quality is just horrible. So I couldn't, I couldn't quite capture the splendor and glory of God, but it was amazing. So I put my phone back in my pocket. I think maybe it was on the seat. I don't know. And I just enjoyed the majesty of God. I mean, that entire time, I'm telling you for 20 minutes straight, and that was just in my drive. It probably happened all night long. 
Lightning, 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 lightning. And all I'm thinking about is, wow, God is so incredible. So beautiful. I mean, just think about the depths of the earth that we haven't even seen. I'm in the remotest parts of the mountain ranges and and the rainforest that we can't even see that simply exist for God's own pleasure. Places that no man has ever traveled. God waters the grass, keeps it green, keeps their flowers and and all this vegetation and sprout for his great pleasure. I mean, we, we can't even comprehend the depths of outer space. We could not possibly seek it out in its fullness. And that exists to bring God glory. It's why he does everything. Think about in Ezekiel chapter 36, when God accounts for us our salvation, right? Where he, where he tells us that he's going to one day give his people a new heart, that he's going to put his spirit within them. And remember what he says. It's not ultimately for your sake, but it's for my great name that I am going to do this. Our salvation, which God saves us because scripture says that he loves us and he has mercy and grace and compassion upon us. But ultimately, the reason God saves us is for his namesake. And so this great and awesome glory of God that is manifested in nature and the great and awesome glory of God that is depicted and shown in our salvation is the same glory of God that Peter says is manifested when the church serves. Peter says a healthy church will serve so that God gets glory. Think about that. I mean, Brian and Debbie were here last night just cleaning the church. Nobody knows except for me and now all of you guys. But that service unto the church, something as trivial as vacuuming or taking out the trash, brings God glory just like the salvation of our souls brings him glory. Just like nature depicts his glory. The setting up the church, the being here throughout the week, the cleaning, the worship team, the people working on the bathroom, the people serving in whichever manner they do, the giving. It all is done to bring God glory. And that is the chief reason in which we do everything. And that is the chief reason in why the church is supposed to serve, to bring him glory. So then point number two And why we are to serve is because we are commanded to serve, right? The chief reason is God's glory. Sub point of that is God commands us to serve. And as we know, God is glorified in our obedience. And so when Peter exhorts us, as each one of you guys has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, that is an exhortation to us. It is a command from God himself for believers to serve the body of Christ. And so for us not to serve would be disobedience. So then, in other words, because God is the good gift giver, he also gets to make the rules in how we use the gift. God has given us gifts. God gets to determine how we use the gift. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I don't really know if that logic checks out. For instance, if Sean were to give me $100, Sean actually has no right to tell me how I'm to use that $100. Because Sean is friend to friend. He gives me $100. I appreciate the $100. Thank you, man. But ultimately, once Sean gives me that $100, it's mine. I can spend it however I want. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, God, we're, we're, told to be called, we're, we're told that God is our friend. Christ even says that he lays down his life for his friends. So we have this friendship with God. God's employed each one of us with gifts. He doesn't really have a right to tell me. I mean, I could do my best. Like if Sean gives me $100, it'd be really 
poor of me if I just went and spent that on lottery tickets right away. I mean, I should use that. And you might think to yourself, God's given me these gifts to serve. I should probably do something good with it, but I'm not required to. But we're forgetting that our relationship with God is not just a friendship, but our relationship with God is one of a father to a son. It's one of a master to a servant. And so God actually has every single right to tell us how to use the gifts. So the more accurate depiction of this illustration would be for Sean to give Kyle $100. Kyle, there you go. There's your shout out. He told me, Kyle told me at the softball tournament, talk about me in the sermon. Here you go, Kyle. This illustration is all about you. (laughs) If Sean gives Kyle $100, now it's a lot different than if Sean gives me $100. Kyle is under Sean's headship. If Sean goes out of town, him and Michelle go out of town for the week, and he says, Kyle, here's $100 for you to use on food. Kyle cannot go now and use that money to buy video games. He cannot go use that money to buy clothing. Kyle has a specific use this money for food. Use the money for food. See, God gives us specifics Use your gifts to serve the body. Now, there's freedom, though, within that exhortation. We have freedom in Christ. We see in 1 Peter 2.16, where Peter says, Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. So we, God, who is our master, who is our father, whichever way you want to look at it, he has the same authority over our lives. He's given us gifts, and now he gets to tell us, you have these gifts to serve. Now, within that serving, there is freedom in how we get to serve, right? So take Mark and I, for instance. Mark and I could preach the same text, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, and our sermons would be, probably very different. Both of us are exhorted to preach truth, to uphold truth, to point to Christ, to honor Christ, more of him, less of us. Those are the specifics in how and what we are exhorted to do. We are to, we are to exposit the scripture well and teach it to the congregation. So as far as the basics, Mark and I would be on the same page. But there are many different ways that we can, we can make a point using this text that is true So our sermons could look different. That's the freedom in how we are to serve. There are several people in this congregation who have gifts of service that they are using for like the bathroom remodel. There are several different people all called to serve, some working on the plumbing, some working on the drywall, some lending tools, some giving specific money for that specific job. We are all called to serve and there's freedom within that choice. If Sean gives Kyle $100, use this for food. Kyle can go buy Lunchables. He can go to McDonald's. He can go buy a box of cereal. It doesn't matter. The point is that he is supposed to use that for food. God tells us in his word to use the gifts that we have been given to serve. And Paul actually tells us in Galatians 5.13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Again, the exhortation is the same. Christians, we have been given freedom in Christ. And this freedom in Christ that we have been given, we are specifically called to use it to serve the body of Christ. Now, every single one of us is gifted differently. Which brings us to the third point. We are to serve for the church's good. God has given each one of us sitting in this room, each born-again follower of Christ has been given specific talents, abilities, opportunities, places in life to serve the body of Christ uniquely. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually just 
as he wills. The Spirit of God, which abides in every single believer, has filled every single believer and has equipped every single believer with different talents and abilities to serve the church for the common good of the church. If we were to continue reading in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 27, which I'm going to do and pay attention, you will see that it is necessary, not just for the church's good that the church serves, but it is absolutely necessary for the church to be healthy, that every single member of the church is serving and how they have been gifted. We read, therefore, in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Hear what I am saying, church. There is nothing more special in essence of, of Mark and I or Brian, whoever shares this pulpit, than each and every one of you in the congregation. God has equipped every single one of us with different gifts. The one vacuuming the carpet is just as important to the body of Christ as the one preaching, as the one leading the congregation in worship, as the one gathering a prayer group on, on Wednesday nights or whatever it may be. Every single member of the church and whatever role that they have been given is just as important as one of the other. That's what Paul is saying here. The eye is not more important than the right hand, nor is the foot more important than the ears. Every single part of the body is necessary. And I know, I know what it feels like to be not up here. For, for my whole life, up until a year and a half ago or two years ago, I sat in the congregation and I had those thoughts of, man, those pastors are probably so loved by God. Like they're so special and uniquely placed and it's just amazing and that God's hand of, of favor is just so upon them. And like the only way, the most glorifying thing that you could possibly do is like be a pastor. I had no desire to be a pastor. Now I am a pastor by the grace of God. But the reality is that I look at my family and I look at my older brother and I look at my younger brother. They both work full time for my parents in Miles City, Montana where they will probably be for the rest of their lives, working full-time for my parents, raising families, having their kids in school, playing sports, following them around. Their life is no more or less important than my life and where God is calling and leading me as a pastor. They're just different roles. It is so vitally important that we understand this. It is so vital to the church's health that we recognize Maybe you weren't gifted with speaking in front of people. That's okay. Maybe you weren't gifted with a beautiful voice to lead the congregation in song. That's okay. Maybe you weren't gifted with, with handyman abilities. There's a reason that I am not helping with the bathroom remodel. I would cause more problems than I would, than I would produce solutions. I am not handy at all. Both my older and my younger brother could be here and they would be great help. I'm not. It's not how God has gifted me. And we have to understand that because it is so easy to think less of ourselves because, well, my role is that I just come here and clean on the weekends. I'm not as important as the pastor or as the worship leader. You're just as important. And in fact, look at what Paul says here in a little bit. He says, if, he says, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. 
And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See what Paul says there? He almost says, basically to for sake of illustration that he is making, he's saying the person that cleans the bathroom every week is just as important, if not more important, than the one leading the congregation in the exhortation of the word because that person isn't recognized and this person is. There are going to be several people here, probably, whether I blow it or not today, that say, hey, Christian, great sermon. I'm getting recognition no matter what, good or bad, I'm getting recognized. People know what my role at this church is. People have no idea the people who are doing things behind the scenes. There is no recognition for them, and that is okay. And it's good. And the people that are in those roles keep serving. Because you're not serving for recognition of men. You're serving for the glory of God. And the way this church will will function as healthy as possible is if you just keep on serving. Don't do it for pride. Don't do it out of whatever reason to be noticed. Keep on serving. It is so honored by God. Your reward is in heaven. Even if nobody knows the things that you do here throughout the week, when the lights are off and the doors are locked and you come just to do something, even if it's not even noticeable, keep on serving. It is so vital to the church's health. And finally, the last reason and why serving is important for the church is because serving is reflective of being a true believer. We read in Ephesians 2.10, where Paul says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Meaning, if we are not producing good works, then we're probably not in Christ Jesus, which means we're probably not saved. Therefore, good works serving the church is reflective of the fact that you are truly a child of God. And so if you are not serving your church, there's one of two possibilities. Either you're not saved or you're very infantile in your faith. And God is chiseling and chipping away at your heart and he is ultimately going to lead you to a place where finally you are serving, where finally you are in the body of Christ, where you're functioning as one member, a part of a bigger body for a bigger purpose. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's very easy to hear what I'm saying, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, and that we're his, good, that we're his workmanship, and that we need to go out and do good works. And, and every single one of us, I could preach up here and be like, now let's go serve and start a bunch of ministries, and we could go do that. And we would very easily slip into legalism. We would very easily slip into legalism. Operating in the sense that because I'm a Christian, because I see in God's word that I'm supposed to serve, now I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to check off the box. I'm going to do it. I I have good skills that the church can use for the bathroom remodel. I'm just going to do it. And then we very easily start believing That because we're at church, because we're serving, because we're vacuuming the carpet, because we're helping in the bathroom remodel, because we're up here preaching, because we're leading the congregation in song, that God is pleased with us. And all of a sudden, if I were to stop these things, God would be less pleased with me. And so now all of a sudden, we're trying to earn our salvation. We're trying to earn our favor with God. We read, go serve, and we're like, okay, I'm going to go serve. And we miss the point entirely. If we serve and our motivation 
is one of to lock down our salvation. I'm going to serve because there's no way that God could turn me down after 40 or 50 or 60 years of faithful service to the church. There's no way. I mean, I was a board member one time. I was in the pulpit before. I mean, I helped so often. I dedicated my life to serving. There's no way that I would hear those words depart from me for I never knew you. Although, what are the words that Jesus says? For there will be many of you who say to me, didn't I do this in your name and this in your name and this in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. See, it's not necessarily about what we do. It's about who we're doing it through. This is tricky because Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount when he says those words to the people. There are going to be many of you guys who say to me, depart from me for I never knew you. He's talking to professing Christians. He's talking to people who believe truly that they worship God. That they spent their entire lives literally doing things in the name of Jesus. They, today, 2021, they're the people that have the bumper stickers that say all for his glory. And they walk around and they're like, yeah, praise God. It's only by his grace I can do this. And those are good things to say if we mean it. But they don't guarantee us salvation because it's so easy to walk through the motions. And it's so easy to fake Salvation by doing works out of legalism without us even knowing it. These people who stand before Christ, where he says, depart from me for I never knew you, they're going to be shocked. They are going to be blown away. What? Are you kidding me? I did this and this and this and this and this to ensure my salvation. What do you mean you never knew me? Guys, how we serve is so important. John 15, 5 tells us that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Romans 3, 10 tells us that no one does good. Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us that apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. There is not one thing in this life that is by itself glorifying to God other than anything done in faith. This means that you can serve the church your entire life and be sinning the whole time. This means that you can be preaching every single week for 50 plus years and be sinning the entire time. We can be reading our Bibles in sin. We can be praying in sin. If what we're doing isn't from a foundation of faith in Christ, the author and perfecter of faith, then what we're doing is in vain. And I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, we get that. I'm telling you, chances are that we don't get it. You see, for 19 years of my life, I lived as a nominal Christian. My dad was a pastor for the first 10 years of my life. I went to church. I knew the right answers. In fact, your pastor, Mark Barlow, he was my youth pastor from seventh grade to sophomore year. I was probably morally better than the next person or the average person throughout my time as birth to 19. In fact, my family called me their little evangelist. Because I would always invite people to church. I had what I would consider back then a heart for God. But the Christian life made zero sense to me. Time and time and time again, I would make these promises to God in my life. Lord, no more sinning, I promise. Lord, I'm going to get my life on track and then I'm going to start, I'm going to start being good. And up until my time before I went to Bible school, I believed the lie without, without verbally saying it, but this is what's, what I really believed. I believed the lie that if I lived my life to the best of my ability and threw on those Christian taglines, all for his glory, and yes, I have faith in Jesus, that at the end of my life, the good would outweigh the bad and I'd be in heaven. I mean, after all, I went to church my whole life. I read the Bible occasionally and I prayed when, when I needed to. 
Bible school wrecked my life in the best way possible. I was shell-shocked. There were 60 students there, and I was probably the third worst person there. The other two got kicked out. I kid you not. In the first month and a half of school, me and another kid who were both there for the wrong reasons had made like eight girls cry because we were just jerks. We were too intense in sports. We cared about the wrong things. We were insensitive. We made poor jokes. And we thought to ourselves, man, Bible school girls are horrible. They don't have a sense of humor. Not realizing the fact that the problem was us. We had a class titled Living Life from a New Source by a pastor named Bill Loveless, which was all about living life through Jesus. Not just being a Christian, but living your life through Jesus. Not just saying it. And I tell you, I tell you, there, there may be people here today and don't be worried about it. I mean, I had, I had my dad, who's a phenomenal Bible teacher, and Mark, who's a phenomenal Bible teacher. They were telling me these things, but they didn't click until Bible school. And so if you're sitting here today and you're like, I've already heard it. I'm good. I've been coming here for 30 years. Listen, seriously, the most important words that I can say. Living life with Christ as your source is the only way to live the Christian life the way God intended. And you might be thinking to yourself again, like, yeah, I get it. I say that kind of stuff all the time. It's Christian lingo. It makes sense, but it doesn't. You hear these words and you go out and do this life in your own strength. See, God never intended for us to do this life in our own strength. Right? We think to ourselves, we, we attest to the fact that before our conversion, we could do no good. We're like, yep, okay, we get that. We understand. We see the scripture. Yep, there's no good. Yep, I got it. Before my conversion, okay, everything that I did was in vain. I can, I can attest to that. Now God saved me, and now all of a sudden I can go out there and live a good life? No, absolutely not. Paul, Paul says this very thing in Romans 7. The willing is present, but the ability is not. I can't. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will set me free from this body of death? He says, thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has set me free. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verses 10, Paul writes, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So while we were enemies, right, we attest to the fact that before our conversion, we were enemies. And then God, by his grace and his mercy, reconciled us to him. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It means saved in this essence is sanctified, that we would be made perfect in this life by his life. And guys, it's not just trivial belief in him, trivial belief in the fact that he can do that. It is literally Christ's life inside of you that is going to sanctify you. It's a concept that didn't make sense to me. Until God finally pierced my heart at Bible school. God did not intend for any one of us to, to live this life on our own strength. But that's how we as Christians or professing Christians operate. Okay, great. God saved me. Now I have all this knowledge of his word. And now I can go out there and live it. I'm just going to do it. I know that I'm supposed to serve. I know that I'm supposed to give. I know that I'm supposed to come to church. I know that I'm supposed to pray. I know that I'm supposed to read the Bible. So I'm just going to do these things. And we're operating the entire time in our own strength. And it's all in vain. And the words we will hear at the end of our life are, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Because Christ was never really in us. We just had convinced our minds that we got it. And so we lived in operating within our own nature. Within our own sinful nature that says you can live this life in your own strength because you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and we're not. That's the reality. When Paul says these words in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every single one of us has heard that verse. Do we understand, though, what it is saying? Paul says, it is not I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. 
And this life that I'm now living, I am living in faith in the Son of God. Faith in the personal embodiment of Christ in me. That is how I am living my life. Not me living, Christ living. That's it. That is the only way anything we do is pleasing to God. By faith, because Christ is living in us. That's it. And when Christ is living in us, our desires are changed. Our, our, our purposes in life are changed. We're operating with a different heart now. You see, I had a Bible school teacher who said this, and it's true. It takes God in the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. And I'll say it again. It takes God in the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. In other words, if you are a person living, you cannot operate the way God has intended you to operate unless it is God operating in you and through you. That's it. Church, that's where we find our value. That's where we find our purpose. That's where we find our strength. And when we comprehend this, now all of a sudden when we read the word at night, we're not reading this as a check, as a, as a, as a list of commands. We're not going to this and reading it as a bunch of prescriptions, as a bunch of written directions, even though that's how the Bible is phrased, as several exhortations. Like Peter says here, serve one another. We don't read that as prescriptions as, okay, I guess I'm supposed to go serve. We read it as descriptions. A healthy church serves. True believers are going to serve. And so if I'm a Christian and I'm reading this and I see, go serve, my thought process cannot be, okay, I got to go get involved. My thought needs to be, Lord, I am not serving you well. And Lord, I believe that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I want to serve. Lord, give me a heart to serve. Give me a longing to serve. Lord, give me the opportunities to serve. And Lord, give me the strength to serve because I know in my sinful state of being that I cannot do this apart from you. It changes the way we pray. Guys, now all of a sudden we don't pray, Lord, give me strength for the day. Lord, help me be stronger in this situation. Lord, help me to show more love. We pray, Lord, be my strength. Lord, be my love. Lord, be my joy today. Not, Lord, make me happier today. Christ, be my joy. Because Christ is everything that we need. Christ is. And so when we're commissioned by Peter to be stewards of the manifold grace of God, it is vitally important that we understand this. We are stewards of the grace of God, not owners of the grace of God. I mean, this is not our own. And because it is not our own, our own strength is not adequate to rightfully steward the grace of God. We cannot, by our own power, steward God's grace because it's something only God can do. And what is grace? There's several misconceptions within Christianity, within Christendom, of what grace is. If I were to ask, chances are that I would hear a lot of answers. Well, grace is what covers and forgives our sins. And you'd be right in saying that. But God's grace is so much more than just what covers and forgives sins. God's grace is what justifies us. It's what redeems us. It's what sanctifies us and empowers us and enables us to live the Christian life. In other words, grace is the embodiment of Jesus Christ. As Richard Sibbs, one of the great Puritans, says, Christ is nothing but pure grace clothed with our nature. We are exhorted by Peter to steward the manifold grace of God. What we are doing, we are, we are exhorted by Peter to steward and to reflect Christ. That's what we're called to do. Reflect Christ, but not in our own strength, Peter says, through the strength which God has provided to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. This is the kicker. It is through Jesus Christ. It is God's strength through Christ in our lives. It's not us. It's not us. You see, we can't live the Christian life apart from Christ. We can't. Guys, again, I lived 19 years of my life where I was probably told these things and I just never clicked. God didn't open my mind. He didn't open my heart. He didn't open my eyes to this truth. If this is the first time you're hearing this, this is okay. Praise God. 
If it's the second time or the fifth time or the hundredth time, great. Use it as more of an encouragement to keep on submitting to Christ. The Christian life is not just a bunch of do's or don'ts, specifics, prescriptions from God. The Christian life can only be lived if Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, we're going to look differently. We're going to live differently. You see, the great apostle Paul, who wrote Galatians 2.20, who wrote that he has been crucified with Christ in the life he now lives. He lives in faith in the Son of God. That he's been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer him who lives, but it's Christ who lives in him. He's not just talking about salvation. He's not just talking about how he was walking down the road and God blinded him and, and saved him. And now he's like, boom, I'm saved. That was old me. I died. Now, I'm, now it's Christ that lives in me. He doubles down on this in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. And he says, I die daily. I die daily. The Christian life, the true Christian life, is one of constant death. Death of our desires. Death of, of our plans. Death to our flesh. And in that dying to self, we're truly alive to Christ. And as we're truly alive to Christ, God alters our mind. He alters our affections. He alters our plans and our purposes so that they align with his. Die to self, live to Christ. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a, I said this prayer, I prayed it, I'm good. I've been going to church for 20 years. I'm awesome. I got it. I serve, I pray, I read. No, it's die daily. Paul, the apostle, seriously, guys, probably one of the greatest men to ever live and walk on this earth, says to himself, I have not yet made it, but I press on towards the prize of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I continue on and I know and I'm hopeful that God, the same God that started the work in me is going to perfect this work in me. He's going to bring it to completion. It's a constant battle, though. So much so where Paul is writing Romans 20 or 30 years after his conversion. And he still says in Romans 7, man, I'm a wretch. I hate that I continue to sin. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who continually relieves me from that. Who continually brings me back to himself. We're going to talk more about this next week as I am preaching on a healthy church, understands the gospel and evangelizes. But the fact of the matter is, church, that the lifeblood of Christianity, the empowerment of serving, and what we're talking about today is the gospel. And I believe that we as a church, not not technically, specifically this church, but I'm saying as a body of Christ globally, we have a pretty poor view of the gospel. We believe that it's, I believe in Jesus Christ and I do all these things. And there may be some of us today who really truly think that, who really truly need to be humbled by these truths of Christ in you. Paul says in Colossians 1.25 through 29. He says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. The preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. This mystery, this gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We all say amen. Yeah, get it. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, Paul says, I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. You see, guys, the goal of the Christian life is not for us to get up here and give you a bunch of do's and don'ts. A healthy church serves, gives, prays, comes to church. 
Now go out and do it. That would be tremendously ungodly of us. Tremendously damning of us. You know why? Because we are held to a high standard to preach the truth of God's word. You see, when I left Bible school, I was so compelled. I didn't know I wanted to be a pastor. God led me to this spot. I don't know if I'll be a pastor in a year from now or 10 years from now. This is where I'm at right now. But I was so compelled to bring the truth of this message, Christ in you, to professing Christians everywhere. My heart was for the lost that exists within the church. I left Bible school thinking to myself, man, for 19 years of my life, I don't know if I was saved. I don't know. Could have been. I could have just been infantile. There could be several of us in this church who are just infantile. There could be several of us who are super mature and have heard this. And this is just nothing more than a great encouragement onward in the Christian life. But I left with the same feeling of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, where he says, man, I preach the gospel at all times. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, for I am compelled to do so. When Christ came into my life and all of a sudden my life is different, I was compelled to bring this message to people who had been living like Christians for several years. It's a humbling and sobering thing to hear. There might be many of us who are living tired, defeated Christian lives and thinking to ourselves, man, is this really it? Is Christianity really all it's cracked up to be? This stinks. It's not fun. There's no joy. probably because you've been doing Christianity wrong. Because Christianity isn't something we do. It's, it's someone we live in. Christ literally has to be in us and us in him. So much so that it is his power that works mightily within us. You see, from our point of view, it looks different. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You might say to yourself, well, what am I supposed to do with that, Christian? Paul exhorts us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I'm supposed to go do these things. And the answer is in the next verse. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God did not just save us and leave us up to our own strength to do the Christian life. He didn't. He did not. God saved us and now empowers us through his son, which works mightily within us. If God calls us to do something, he's going to equip us to do something with his son working mightily within us. This is the reality of the Christian life. And when this is your foundation, when you are truly living with Christ as your source, now all of a sudden there's abundant joy because Christ is your joy. It doesn't matter the circumstances, Christ is your joy. Now all of a sudden there's tons of energy to go do these things because what fuels you isn't the recognition of men. It's not the recognition of your spouse or your kids. It's Christ. You read in your word that you're supposed to do this and Christ empowers you to do it and you're gonna go serve and you're gonna to continue to clean the bathrooms without anybody knowing because it's not about you, it's about Christ. And it's not your strength that's causing you to do it, it's Christ's strength which is causing you to do it. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul says this, and again, guys, these are not just trivial things, these are the realities of the Christian life. Things that we have heard for decades that just go right over our head. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ died so that we would live in him and for him. It's his love that controls us. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. So where do we go from here? The final application and exhortation for every single one of us, myself included, is die. Die. 
Die to self. Die to your own desires. What can a dead man do? Nothing. That's the point. We want less, the least of us as possible, and the most of Christ as possible. Submit your life to Christ. When you read the word, hopefully daily, hopefully multiple times a day, when you're in this word, don't read it as a book of prescriptions for you to go out and do boxes to check off. Read it as the constant reproof of your life. You're reading these things. You're like, man, I'm not measuring up. You're right. You're not because you can't. Only Christ can. And that's the point of the Christian life. So when you read this thing and you're like, you're going to read this book and you're like, I'm called to serve. I'm called to love the neighbor. I'm called to do all these things that I'm not doing. Pray. God, give me a heart to do these things. Give me a heart to love you more, a heart to pray more, a heart to hate my sin more, a heart to have my sin exposed more, a heart to serve the church more, a heart to give more. Lord, give me that heart and be my strength in all of this. And simply live it out. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, live it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing wholly and fully that if anything that you do is good, it's God who is doing the work in you. It's God who is at work in you. A healthy church is called to serve for God's glory, because it's commanded, for the church is good, and because it's reflective of believers. And that can only be accomplished through Christ living in you. He is your strength. He is your source. If you're serving apart from him, you're serving in vain. Let us not leave this place without dying to cement, dying to self and submitting our lives more and more to his great son, Jesus, who indwells each believer. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for who you are, for not just saving us and then leaving us up to our own demise to, to try and live this life apart from you. For Lord, that was never what you intended. But Lord, you have intended and created and caused us, Lord, to die to self and to live in you. Literally, Lord, in you, that you are living in us, operating through us. Lord, that it is your strength, that it is your joy. Lord, that it is your acts of service within us so that, Lord, you may be glorified. Lord, we pray that you continue to chisel at our hearts and our minds. Lord, that you continue to lead us and guide us and direct us in your truth, in your righteousness. Lord, continue to humble us. Lord, continue to expose light on, on blind spots in our lives and sin patterns that we don't recognize. Lord, humble us more and more each day to, to know you more, to love you more, to submit to you more. For Lord, this is a daily thing, a momentary thing, constant death to self so that we can live in you. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.